Hello, and welcome to Interlude, Women's Cancer Stories with Dr. Toplinski. I am a medical oncologist, and I specialize in treating women with breast and gynecologic cancer. I started this podcast to share the journeys and experiences of women who are living with cancer. Every week, I bring you stories of incredible women who are all at different stages of their cancer journey. We will talk about anything and everything related to the cancer experience. These women will share with you how cancer has affected them and how they are living life despite that. The information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as any medical advice as each patient has a different treatment and experience. It is meant to create a dialogue. Any personal medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Cancer brings normal life to a halt. It creates an interlude. Let's talk about it. Today, my guest is Amanda Blauwald. Amanda is a hairstylist who was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer at the age of 32. She had chemotherapy, surgery, and radiation, and she thought that she was in the clear until she was diagnosed with a second triple negative breast cancer. On today's episode, she talks about her experience with treatment the second time around, how she's thriving through chemotherapy, and her diagnosis of a BRCA gene mutation. She also shares some really helpful expert advice about how to take care of your scalp once hair falls out during chemotherapy. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Amanda, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Do you want to start by introducing yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Amanda. I'm 36 years old and I have had breast cancer, triple negative breast cancer, twice already. When were you diagnosed the first time? The first time I was diagnosed at 32, going on 33. And how did you find out? I felt a lump, and it hurt. And had it not hurt, I probably wouldn't be sitting here with you. But I decided that I needed to go into the doctor, and I went to the doctor. They thought it was a cyst, and... um, So I went for all the testing, and it came back that I had cancer. What was your reaction when you found out you were so young, right? Most people don't get diagnosed with breast cancer that age. No, I was was freaked out. Um, I was not in a good spot. Most of, like, my friends would tell you I was at work when I got told. And my job at the time, they weren't very supportive. They just wanted to know the drama that was going on, and so they got me into hysterics. Um, My mom had to come pick me up from work. It's just me and her, so I had to drive home crying, and she followed me all the way home. So, And the next day, I hardly even walked into work. Would you have preferred to get the results in the doctor's office? Yes. That should have, that's how it should have been, but um, in my case, it didn't happen that way. My second time, I got the results in the office. How did you deal with it? We just, I went through the motions, so I got told I needed to find a surgeon because we didn't know what it was other than it's cancer, and so I got in with Dr. Klein, and then from there, Dr. Klein did all this testing, including genetic testing, which then found out that I have BRCA1. That's the reason why I have triple negative. So after you saw the surgeon, you ended up meeting the medical oncologist. She and I decided we were going for chemo first. Chemo, we did AC, uh, four four rounds of AC, and 16 rounds of Taxil, and four rounds of Carbo. What was the chemo like? 
oh, I hated it. <laughs> the first time, my first rounds of chemo um, with AC were so bad. Um, I just was always sick. Um, my stomach hurt, and and it wasn't even, I, well, now I know it's not the chemo. It's the medicines, the pre-meds that cause it, and my um, anti-nausea medication. I was always sick, and then when I went to Taxol, I couldn't sleep. So I was on the phone constantly with a doctor crying. And then we decided to give me a sleeping medication, which apparently I'm also allergic to. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was one thing after another when I, uh, with the first uh, first time. Did you work during that time? Yes. And what do you do for work? I'm a hairdresser. I was an assistant at that time. And I was working behind the sink. And my boss was not very understanding towards what I was going through. So we had um, sent letters from the doctor. This could happen. Um, She might have to sit down for a break, all this other stuff, which she never let me have. And eventually we had to work out because I was definitely getting a double mastectomy. And we had to work out how to get the six months in disability, short-term disability, and still be on chemo and be able to get everything in so that I don't not have money coming in. Did your coworkers know? Everybody knew in the salon. And aside from your boss, did you feel that they were supportive? No. I had a few, a couple people, um, three people that were very supportive of me and would, like, stop other people from bothering me and they would come in and they would be like no you can't she can't do this right now you go do that work because yeah, it's a very physical job yeah and, you know tax all causes joint aches and pains and oh, neuropathy yeah. and so it must be it's not like you're sitting at a desk no no it's not like sitting at a desk so you're up on your feet um the whole time so the whole eight hours that you're there and an assistant as opposed to a hairstylist they don't really get breaks they they're sweeping the floors they're washing the hair, they're cleaning anything else, they're folding laundry, there's no downtime, so. That's not easy. No. And then you finished chemo, you had surgery. Had surgery. How did the surgery go? Surgery was awesome, actually. I had surgery, it's really funny, it was the day before Thanksgiving. Remember um, getting out of the hospital and going to see my plastic surgeon, Dr. Farkas, and the first thing I did when he walked in the door was I lifted up my arms and I could put them over my head, which is supposedly not normal. And then I went to see Dr. <laughs> Dr. Klein and she was like, don't do that. Oh my God, don't stop. What are you doing? <laughs> Apparently I healed very quickly. Which is good. <laughs> which is very good. Did yeah. you have more treatment after the surgery? I wound up having to do radiation. Okay. With- and- you had a bilateral mastectomy. A uh, double bilateral mastectomy. Okay. So, and how was radiation? Radiation was the most relaxing thing I have ever done. You're the only person who will ever say that? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I liked it because nobody could call me for like... Fair enough. A couple hours. Well, not a couple hours, but like that window of time, nobody called me. It was awesome. Um, and I could just lay there and I didn't have to do anything. And it was dark and... I was tired, so I liked that part of it. However, after 
radiation was done. My body does not like radiation. <laughs> Even with all the doing all the things with creams and everything, I still wound up with radiation burns um, pretty bad. And I had, I still have a burn that goes like across my body where I didn't even get radiated. How was the recovery aside from the radiation burns, right? When did you feel like you were kind of getting back to yourself? Um, I would say about six months after I finished everything. So September 2016, you're starting to feel like back to your normal self again. You're working at the same salon or a different salon? I had left. Okay. And I, I got a new job, I was working behind the chair. So I was now a stylist at that point. Okay, that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. And then what happens after that? (laughs) Well, I had the expanders in for a year. Advice from Dr. Klein and from Dr. Farkas, we didn't want to touch anything. We wanted to give me as much time to fix my skin and all that fun stuff. And well, we then decided to move forward in March of 2017, and we did my um, D-flap, and that was not fun. So that brought us to 2017. Right. And what was it like kind of recovering from chemotherapy and such a major surgery and being so young, and how did you relate to people, and what were friendships like? My Friends don't always get it. Like, I have a couple friends that have partners who are sick and have had cancer. Not this type of cancer, but other cancers. And they get it a little bit more. Whereas um, my other friends, like, they get scared. And they, well, aren't you done with all that? And that comes up a lot. So I don't really talk about it too much. Now I get to because I have it again, so... They have to deal. That must be hard, right? Yeah. You don't have that support system. Right. Because no one else really knows what it's exactly. like. Exactly. And did you utilize any support groups, net- social network, things I'm like that? I'm huge into um, the Young Survivors Coalition, and I come to group here all the time, and I'm on our group's website on Facebook and sometimes I'm act very active and other times I'm very quiet because depending upon what's being said or what's being put up could be triggering to um, my own uh, health issues and whatnot and sometimes we can't um, help others if we're not okay with ourselves exactly though I think the groups are amazing but sometimes other people sharing kind of brings back yeah your experiences and it's okay to say you know I can't share right now or I can't participate right now you mentioned that you had a recurrence or a new cancer a new cancer yeah I had just finished everything everything was fine I had just finished um the wound back was gone a doctor Farkas had pretty much cleared me, except he sent me to a dermatologist to deal with a couple little sores that I had that just are because of the radiation weren't closing properly, which are now closing. I did my scan, my my normal scans. Everybody said everything was fine. Everyone said everything was fine. November comes, and I had an issue with my insurance, and I couldn't see my um, dermatologist, so... 
I was like, okay, I'll wait December. And I felt something in my breasts. And I was like, all right, if insurance goes through, if I don't have any problems, I'm picking up the phone, I'm calling Dr. Klein. So everything went well. I picked up the phone. I'm like, hey, I feel something in my breast. It hurts. I need to come in. And we did um, a scan and um, we found that I had another lump. And we did all the testing, all the biopsies. But um, yeah, so, and it came back triple negative. Now you're going through chemotherapy again. Again. So yes. the same chemotherapy. Exact same chemotherapy. So originally when we first started talking about doing this again, it was we're going to do AC for four rounds, and I've maxed out on that forever. Never, ever have Never again. Ma- Never again. Never. And then we did a scan a week ago, which didn't go well. Um, <laughs> but I got good results anyway. Um, so the scan, the experience didn't go well, but the results are good. Results are good. Okay, good. The the scanning process of me was not good. Oh, no. I, I got sick from the uh, contrast. Uh-huh. Are now on to Taxil and Carbo. And what is it like getting the same chemotherapy again? Do you feel like knowing what to expect was a good thing or is it harder? We tweaked everything. So going forward on the AC... I had told Dr. Sell how uh, sick I got, the pre-meds and everything. So he tweaked everything to be lower. So I didn't have the upset stomach the same way. Um, I was diffusing oils and doing a little more holistic stuff at home so that I didn't have to take any medications that do upset my stomach because anti-nausea medication doesn't work for me very well. And... So that was good. And he has Stacy as his nurse, and she was my chemo nurse. So she knew everything I went through. So when we were figuring out the plan together, she was very involved in that. And there were a couple of things that I wasn't expecting that I got. I got thrush. Oh, I had to do hydration this time that I didn't have to do last time. So that was a little weird. So um, now with Taxol, because we just started this week. I'm doing okay. I'm expecting to feel the tingling because I did get neuropathy in my feet, which I still deal with. I'm going to try that ice stuff, like put ice. Yeah, there's one study that does show that maybe icing, you know, the tips of your fingers and yeah. your toes may help. And and emotionally, what has gone through your mind well, I'm just having fun with it at this point. God. <laughs> I um, I don't really take it very seriously. Like, um, I see Brooke a lot. And our Who social, is Brooke? Brooke is our social worker here at Valley. Would anybody else, she would think that I was going crazy. But she knows me. And I just, I just make jokes about everything. I have a sign for every time I go into chemo. One for... After AC, when I finished AC, was it will be a cold day in hell before I see you again. You have to make it fun and not so. It is very serious, but you have to make it not. Of course, you're here a lot. Yeah, you have to get through it somehow. Exactly. And are you working? I am working. 
what's that experience this time compared to last time? My boss is very understanding this time around. She's been pretty supportive, and I pretty much have the full reign of the salon to do what I want at this point. And you're a stylist now? Yes. Okay. Any particular style you cut, or you do everything? I do mostly men. Okay. But I do women, too, but... I have a lot of young kids, so we don't really talk about what's going on. They just know I don't have, like, I'm wearing hats, and I might have a wig on once in a while, but mostly hats are on. They don't ask if I don't, if I don't say anything. I don't, I don't feel that they need to know. Of course. And what, I mean, working in a hair salon and not having hair, (laughs) I mean, how has that been? Well, because I mostly see guys that are just like, they just kind of brush it off. Mm-hmm. And the people that know, and like my regulars, they know something's up, even though I haven't exactly said, oh, yeah, I, had, I got cancer again. They know something's up, but they don't want to say anything. So we just kind of leave it in that gray area. Oh, yeah, no, I'm just wearing hats today. Okay. Have you bought really cool, funky hats? I have a bunch. I do wear a lot of hats. I have a lot. I got donated a whole bunch, um, and I use them all the time. And I like the halo wigs. They're a lot better. So you're a good person to ask about this. So everyone always asks me, should I, I know I'm going to lose my hair. Should I cut it short? Should I wait for it to fall out? Should I you know, buzz it? What are your thoughts on that? Well, for me, I found both times that my hair didn't want to come out on its own. So I had to, well, there's a video of me actually literally pulling it out of my head on Instagram. It's a very personal choice. Now, if you want to take control of what you're, of this, like cancer's not going to take my hair, I'm going to take it, then cut it. Um, Just know that you're going to need to, you might have to go in with like a lint brush or tape and like pull out the little stubbles because they do hurt if they're not supposed to be in there. And that was my problem the first time was that I cut my hair too short and it didn't fall out naturally. And I had to like literally rip it out of my head. This time I had it long enough and it was heavy enough that it was falling out on its own when I brushed it. Yeah, it took me a good week to get it all out and then cut my hair. But I got almost all of it out without having to limp brush my hair. And then what do you use or what do you recommend for the scalp? Like any gentle shampoo? Wash your head like you would wash your scalp. So um, your hair like all the time. Um, If you are a every three-day person for washing your hair, you should be doing it every three days. When you wash your hair, you're really washing your scalp, not your hair. So you have to treat your head like it's um, skin. So you want to make sure that it's clean, that you don't have anything in there. Because although your hair isn't growing anymore um, for this short period of time, it doesn't feel short, but it is short, you can do damage to your um, your follicles and you want them to come back. So you want to make sure those follicles don't have any dirt in them and get infected or anything. So washing your head is very important. So the first time I did, I washed my hair with Johnson & Johnson baby shampoo just because that's what I felt most comfortable with. 
This time I'm just using my regular shampoo. I still use conditioner on my head. You know, it's supposed to go on your that part of your body, so I feel weird putting um, moisturizer on top of my head because okay. I think it's too greasy. That makes sense. Yeah. If, it, if I was going to use a moisturizer on my head, it would be more of a, a facial moisturizer. Something more gentle. Yeah, so that you're not putting too much grease, grease there. I actually never thought about that, so I always tell people still shampoo, but I actually yeah. didn't think about moisturizing yeah. afterwards, but that makes, that makes also, a lot of sense. I also use a hair oil that can be used on your, like, basically your whole body. Almost all hair oils can go onto your scalp, onto your skin, onto your face. Uh, you just want to make sure that it isn't like the Moroccan oil because Moroccan oil is made from a nut. So a lot of people it, mm. it can get allergies during this time. What hair oil do you recommend? My favorite happens to be Surface. I'll, I'll put it up on okay. my Instagram. Awesome. This is a great lesson in hair <laughs> styling techniques. <laughs> So you mentioned Instagram and you're really active on social media. Yes. Was this a result of the cancer diagnosis? Um, no, I've been active on it on and off anyway, but I've been doing more, like posting more about, especially with what I have with the triple negative because it is so, it's a rare one. Most people know her too. PR positive, that stuff. They don't know triple negative. And when you start trying to explain to them, well, my body just created this thing. And they're like, well, you had to have done something. You had to have eaten the wrong foods or you did this or whatever. No. How do you deal with those comments? Because I'm sure there's a lot of them. Sometimes I get upset and I just kind of shut down on the person. But most of the time, I explain that because I have a broken gene, because that's how I explain it. No, I, you could put me in a bubble, and I still run the risk of getting cancer. You know, I could have been fed all the right foods, never experienced outside air, and I would still have a chance of having either breast cancer or ovarian cancer. It, could, it just could have happened. And by sharing your experiences on Instagram, have you found that at least you're educating people about yeah. that? Yeah, I do. I find that a lot of people who are scared to go to the doctor to like, um, oh, I'm worried that I might have something. Do you think I should go? They're more apt to ask me those questions. And then I'm always, my answer is, if you think that it's something, you go to the doctor. <laughs> Honestly, if I if it didn't hurt on me, my first one, I wouldn't be sitting here. And I know that that's the wrong way of looking at it. No, but it's true. You were young. And yeah. when you went that first time, did the doctor you saw say, okay, we have to do a mammogram and an ultrasound? Or did they kind of say, well, it's probably nothing? They said to me, we have to do an ultrasound. So I only went into the office thinking I was getting an ultrasound, which then turned into a mammogram, which then turned into five hours of a mammogram. <laughs> I, of course. <laughs> but I, w I will say it's very impressive that, you know, when you went, they said, we have to work this up, right? Because yeah. you're, you're young and it's right. unlikely. Now, do you have a family history of breast or ovarian cancer? I happen to be adopted, so nobody knows. Okay. So that's... Probably the reason why they took the route they took, mm -hmm. because we have no family history. Um, however, do, being as though I have this gene, I do know somebody had to have had something 
but I don't know for sure. And with the BRCA mutation, you also have a risk of ovarian cancer. And have you done anything about that yet? We are not doing anything about that until I am about 45. That's, That's where we are. I used to go to the FORCE meetings, and they always advocate for earlier. And the more I read up on taking anything out and even... Even having a mastectomy pro- proactively doesn't really stop you from being able to not get it. So I will wait until I'm of age of, you know, where I wouldn't be needing them anymore anyway. Well, it's true. When you take them out younger, there's pluses and minuses, and early menopause is not... Not something you want to go through. Exactly. When they came back and you thought you were kind of in the clear because you did have a bilateral mastectomy, what was your reaction? I was very confused because when I was explained like how it would come back, that you would feel it in the skin and it would be really tiny. That's not triple negative. Triple negative grows at a rate that nobody can stop unless you're doing chemo or going in there and taking it out of your body. In two months, it can grow that big because it went from not being there to um, six or seven oh. centimeters. That's big. Yeah. <laughs> now it's half the size. Good. So that's <laughs> so, great. So hopefully when I finish chemo, it will be eradicated from the body, and I'll have the same thing of complete response to chemo again because I had that the first time. And we know that for triple negative, so there's a recent study that was published that said if you have a complete response with surgery, your outcome is so much better long term than if you don't. So Exactly. That's wonderful. And hopefully we're going to cross our fingers. We're we're hoping for that. Same thing on the other side. And I don't know if you heard, but actually earlier today, the FDA approved a new drug for triple negative breast cancer. Yes, I did. I saw that on your Instagram. The drug is atezolizumab and is for metastatic cancer, so not applicable for you, which is (laughs) hopefully never will be applicable for you. But we are finally seeing new drugs. Instagramming your chemo treatments, right? Has that been good, bad? Oh, I love doing it. I think it's fun. Um, I'm not sure how my friends feel because I don't, honestly, don't really care, like, if it bugs them or whatever. But I I do my thing. Sometimes I go live while I'm sitting in chemo um, because usually I'm in a private room, so which I like because I feel weird. I don't let anybody come with me to chemo um, just because I don't want to entertain anybody. Like, I feel yeah. like if they're there, I have to entertain them. And I kind of felt that way when I was um, going through my uh, reconstruction with the D-flap. Like, if people came over, I felt like I had to entertain you, and then I would be so tired. And So being able to hop on and talk to people, even though they can't really talk back, sometimes is fun. and Yeah, it gives you, like, the, f- the sense that people are there. Yeah. Um, but it's true. I think if you do bring someone, you may feel obliged that you have to yeah. hang out with them. Yep. What do you do during chemo then? I color. I watch movies. I zentangle. What is zentangling? Zentangling is like do- uh, very fancy doodling. Okay. Is it mm-hmm. on a piece of paper? It's on a piece of paper. It's on like a little piece of cardstock. It's usually four by fours um, squares. And you basically just make patterns on the paper and you don't think about what you're drawing 
And Okay. Do you, you follow? Is there a pattern that you follow? No, no. No, I just start and just go, and it's very interesting and fun to do, but, um, sorry, um, you know, you, you're just letting your brain wander, and you're not supposed to know what's coming next. Okay. So it's, because coloring, you're, you're focused on coloring yeah. whatever is in front of you, so this is right. very kind of, yep. I like the name for it. This is a company. Uh, no. No. It's just a, a style. Oh, okay. Oh, that's... Kind of like, um, think of a Zen garden. So, like, when you play with the sand and you make the um, the circles and the, the waves in the sand around all the rocks and everything, it's kind of like that, except it's with pen and paper. That's cool. Yeah. Actually, it's a great thing to do during chemotherapy. Yeah, it is. Because uh, you're kind of, you're also getting a lot of pre-medications, you're kind of tired, yep. maybe hard to concentrate... Yeah, and it. Um, I found that while I was doing Taxil um, last time, it helped with my neuropathy in my fingers. So my neuropathy in my fingers aren't, aren't really isn't there. It's only in my feet because I can't draw with my feet. And that's actually true, right? You're, the more fine motor activity that you're doing, right? That's probably going to help. You know, and I think you probably would identify the neuropathy earlier because you're drawing and you're seeing yeah. that you can't feel what you're doing. I like that. Yeah. Do you have any fears about what's going to happen next or worries, concerns? Um, my biggest one that I don't really talk about too much is I am young. I haven't had a family yet. And the idea of the family, because um, just being pregnant, in fact, freaks me out at the moment. Uh, because I've hit the amount of um, AC that you're allowed to have, and that affects your heart. And then I have a lot of friends that had issues when they were having kids having heart issues. So I'm, like, a little freaked out about hearing there's a chance that I'm going to have to either adopt or do surrogacy. I have eggs saved from the last time, so that's not the issue. But just the idea that I wouldn't be able to have yeah, it disrupts what is kind of right when you yeah. when you're little. You get told you're gonna grow up and get married and have a family, and yeah, <laughs> then all then life gets in the way. And if you can't do that, that's now reimagining what life looks like differently. Exactly. What will happen after the chemo? So you're gonna get more scans. I'm gonna have more scans. Then it's a lumpectomy, and then well, if I have it my way, I will be done ish. Um, if they have it their way, it might be more radiation. Um, <laughs> I am very apprehensive of the radiation since I have radiation burns on my right side of the body when it was on my left last time. So they know this. Um, so I will go back and I will talk to Dr. DeYoung, who I had as my, um, radiology oncologist last time and I really liked him so see what he says and weigh everything out those are all like the next things that we're just not thinking about on that note some people like kind of saying okay I'm doing my chemo I'm not going to think about what's next and then other people really want to plan out every little thing where do you fall I'm one step at a time. So when I got diagnosed this time, I had known something was up. I knew that this wasn't right. I may have not 
said it, but everybody here knew that I knew before they knew. And I said, okay, so I go to Dr. Klein. I go for the scan. I do this. I see Brooke. I go back to Klein. Then I'm going to see Saw. Then I'm going, to, and then we're going to decide what we do. And I've been taking one step at a time as we go forward because it's too hard to try to imagine, well, what if the chemo doesn't work and what if this happens? Because then once you start planning way too far ahead, I just know what my team is. So that's all that matters to me. I know that going forward, if I have to talk about radiation, I know what doctor I'm going to, and that's fine. Other than that, I don't need to know any further. It's true. I think thinking one step ahead kind of helps you also live in the moment and not worry about what is to come. Who has been your support throughout this? My mom. My mom. I live with my mom. It's just me and her. I have a boyfriend. He's sick too, but he has some other, he has kidney failure. And um, so when I'm in chemo, he's at um, dialysis. So sometimes I say he's at um, I'm at dialysis and he's at chemo and it gets everybody very confused so we just say treatment but um, we text back and forth while we're at treatment and my mom's been there and my mom it's hard because I don't always want her there all the time so um, we have it understood that she does not come to chemo with me because I don't want her taking off from work um for this, I need her after. I'm going to need her for during the surgery. I get, um, I know the lumpectomy isn't as bad as getting a double mastectomy, but still surgery. I, it's still surgery, and I still have a hard time getting up at the bed, and I just need somebody there to help me out of bed once I'm back home. Mm-hmm. We have an understanding of that. Good. What is it like having a significant other who's also going through chronic illness? It's interesting. Um, I didn't go out looking for this. Uh, I had just started talking when I got diagnosed, and I basically kind of said, well, if you can't handle this, get out now. (laughs) And he was like, well, I'm sick too. And I wasn't going to tell you until we met and got to know each other before I told you, but because you're coming out and saying that you're sick, I can say that I'm sick. It's interesting because he has some of the things that he can't, he's restricted on, I am too. So like food-wise, it's easier to go out together. Um, We can support each other. We decided early on that if we get bad news, you're not, he's not allowed to break down and cry. And I'm not allowed to break down and cry um, for either one of us. So I can cry for myself. He can't cry for me. And how's that been? It's been good. It it actually works out because when I have been sick and I've been, like, not feeling well, um, if he starts to, like, kind of waver on it, I can be like, you promised, and he does the same for me. So you have someone in your corner. Yeah. Stable and holding steady. You you need the the, uh, a rod to... Even when I um, first got sick, um, before he was, like, really in the picture... Like I had told my mom, 
you can't cry in front of me. I don't care. It doesn't matter um, when I'm not home because our work schedule is in such a way that my mom comes home at three and I'm home at like six. She's got like a three hour period. She can call her friends. She can talk on the phone while I'm not around, talk to my aunts, my uncles, anybody um, that they need to talk to and like give information to or whatever that I don't need to hear. We agreed on that and because she's got to be my my other rock. Yeah. It's hard for the caregiver. Yes. Uh, because they do feel a lot of emotion and yep. they do have to show it somehow. So right. that gives her an outlet. So I'd like to end with just a few questions. Sure. So has there been anything that's kind of a pet peeve for you during this whole process? Um, or something that people said to you or did and you wish hadn't happened? Not, not this time, last time. Um, just a bump in the road is not a, a phrase that should be used for anybody going through any illness. A bump in the road. Yeah, yeah this is just a bump in the road. Um, it's like a massive detour with geez. rocks falling. Yeah, because yeah. especially like when it was originally said to me, we didn't even know my staging at that point. For all they knew, I could have been stage four, and that's not a bump in the road. That's five years. Like, theoretically speaking, you're you're looking at five years at 32 years old, and that's not a bump in the road. That's a life-ending catastrophe, which I kept telling people, no, you shouldn't think that way. I'm like, I'm not. You're making me think that way. Is there anything that surprised you? when going through treatment? I actually, my first time around, I was surprised how not sick I was. You see all these movies with, like, the actors going through cancer, and they're, like, they can't move, and they're, like, dying on, and just walking up the stairs or something, and I didn't feel that way. I felt like, oh, let's go out. Come on, let's go. Let's go do something. Like, I've, I've my first chemo ever, I... My mom and I went to the Palisades Mall and we went to the movie theater and had a big lunch and I felt great. I didn't feel great three days later, but that's besides the point. But that was the surprising. Like I was expecting to be more fatigued, more um, sickly. Is there any advice that you would give to someone who is newly diagnosed? Definitely one step at a time. Get your team together. And that includes your your people, friends, your family, who's going to be there. Don't worry if people you expect to be there for you might not be there because they have to go through their own thing with you being um, diagnosed as well. There are usually some, somebody that stands out. Um, in my case, my first time, I had a best friend that I hadn't spoken to in years reach out to me because she heard that I was sick and she was there from halfway through Taxol all the way through to to this day and she calls me and I call her and she's always there and I never thought I was going to speak to this person again so you'll find that that happens as well. Sometimes it's the people that you um, are closest to that get really affected. They're afraid. They're afraid that it's going to be them, too. Of course. The people that you least expect sometimes, but the people that we do expect sometimes just can't cope or they can't handle it, and it's not 
malicious. It's they it's, just don't know what to do, right, or how to react. Thank you so much for talking to me today. You're it was welcome. So great to hear your story. I cannot wait to share more powerful stories with you over the coming weeks and months. If you liked today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts as this is the best way to grow the show. You can head on over to my Instagram and Twitter page, Dr. Toplinski, for more podcast information and cancer news and updates. Finally, if you or someone you know would be interested in being a guest on the show, please email me at interlude cancerstories at gmail.com.